0: Welcome to episode six of the GAM Talks podcast. We're joined by Jeremy Smooha, CEO of Atlantic Omnium UK, fixed income specialist who has worked with GAM for many years. Jeremy discusses the appeal of the subordinated debt of financials, the power of pull-to-par, and how he has made working with members of his family a success. Don't forget to listen to our important legal information at the end of this podcast. I'm joined by Jeremy Smuha. Welcome, Jeremy. Thank you very much. Uh, Jeremy, um, tell me why you think, particularly in the current environment, investors should consider bonds as opposed to other asset classes, in particular equities.
1: We're, we're living through a very uncertain and distressing time. And the trouble with equities is that they Their behavior depends on what earnings are going to do. And and we don't know what earnings are going to do. And the advantage about the bond world is that all they need to rely on is will the company survive? The difference between profitability and solvency. So shares are determined by profitability, bonds are determined by solvency. And with a bond, you actually know because it's written on its prospectus what you're going to earn. So you have a huge visibility. If the company continues to pay its income and pays, The bond back when it matures, whenever it is in a few years time, then you have a huge visibility on what your returns are going to be.
0: And within that asset class, Jeremy, why do you have a specific interest in financials and and the European financial sector?
1: Yes. Well, a lot of people ask us this question, especially after the financial crisis, which caused the, the last recession. And I think the big difference now is that this is a corporate crisis rather than a financial crisis on the one hand. And on the second hand, central banks um, and, and governments put in place, back in two, after 2008 eight nine, 2009, certain uh, requirements. They changed the laws, the rules, to make sure that the banks would never again suffer uh, a, a, a systemic crisis like they did then. And what they asked, and they did, was they asked the banks to uh, increase uh, their capital, so increase the amount of money uh, that they had to to survive crises and they 've over the last ten years there's been a huge huge deleveraging in the banking sector, not only that but the the, the authorities have stress tested banks to survive um, periods of twice as bad as the financial crisis and uh, we don 't know exactly what 's going to happen, but the covid let's say the this crisis could end up being twice as bad as the financial crisis the banks uh, or the certainly the national champions the major banks survived so in a bond world you end up earning your income and having your money back and so the last 10 years you've had 10 years of huge leveraging in the corporate sector but in the banking and financial sector including insurances you've had 10 years of huge deleveraging
0: They've left themselves in a in a strong position as a as a result of basically as a result of what happened in two thousand and eight.
1: Absolutely. So if you look at uh, this week's banking, in fact, this week is a very interesting week because you've had a lot of the banking results come through. You've had most of the banks reporting profits, despite the fact that they have made provisions for future losses five uh, and sometimes more times uh, of losses that. Um, they they normally expect. And if you look at Barclays, for example, their provisioning losses for uh, employment going from 3.1% in the UK to 8% to 17% in the US, uh, and a huge recession. And uh, despite this, they remain solvent. The bonds remain safe. Uh, It's not the same for profits. Profits will be affected. Headlines we'll talk about in the next few quarters, I'm sure. Profits in banks going down dramatically. but remember, we're in the bond world, we're talking about solvency. Can the bank pay us back? Can it pay the coupon? And so far this has been very much the case and we expect it to continue to be so. Mm-hmm.
0: And within the capital structure of these financials, Jeremy, what is it that, that particularly appeals about um, subordinated debt?
1: So our speciality is, is subordinated debt, and uh, this is what we spend the last many years looking at, and this hinges on a very simple idea. If a company goes bust, then, or rather, if a company doesn't go bust, then it doesn't matter whether your debt is senior or junior. The only difference between the senior debt and the junior debt is if the company goes bust. Then the senior people get paid out before the junior people.
0: And can you explain? This is I know this is something I've heard you talking about on many occasions. Can you explain the, the power of pull to par?
1: Yes, this is, this is really a, a technical term, but it's quite simple. Is when we buy a bond, we can control the credit quality. That's an ongoing concern, and we know um, the income that we're going to get. What we can't control is the prices the market puts on that bond. Now, if in a panic prices go down uh, dramatically, so let's say the bond falls from hundred. To ninety, But then after the panic is over and people realize that the company is solvent and going to survive, then you know they're going to pay you back at 100 in whenever the maturity of the bond is, let's say 2022 or 23 or 2024. So that is what is called the pull to pass. So unlike a share where you have no idea what value to put on it, with a bond you have a date. At which the company is going to pay you back at 100 or par. Um, so as soon as you see sell-offs, and we've been in the business since 1985. So we've seen the 87, the 94, the 98 uh, reversals, and of course, 2000, 2009. And in many cases, share prices fall and remain low. But if the bond price falls, then remember, they have to pay back at 100. So you have that pull to par, which is a huge comfort for us when we're going through these periods, if we're confident of the company is going to survive, and buying something at ninety means you get not only your coupon income, which around five and seven eighths or six percent, whatever the coupon is, but you're going to get an extra ten percent capital gain on top of that. That's the pull to pull.
0: Yeah, and and you mentioned coupons there, Jeremy. Collecting coupons is obviously a key a key part of the of the appeal of of what you do.
1: Yes, it's interesting because when you read newspapers, they often talk about the bond market and prices going up and prices going down, and that hits the headlines. What doesn't hit the headlines so much is that fact, over time, our return is predicated on the income we earn. A 6% coupon only makes about 0.01634% a day, so the newspapers will never have a headline saying bonds... Surge 0.01624% a day. But if you think about it, 6% a year, that's 18% in your pocket over three years. So we structure the way we approach this market, and we collect the coupon, put it in our pocket, that like 35 basis points or 40 basis points a month, uh, that's what 6% is approximately. Ka-ching, ching it comes in every single day. And... Uh, we're a coupon collecting machine.
0: Yeah. Now within um, the area of interest for, for yourselves, there are a number of different types of bonds. So you've got RC1s, you've got AT1 CoCo's. Um, what, what's the appeal in particular of, of legacy bonds and, and how does that work?
1: Legacy bonds are a really interesting area at the moment. A lot of these bonds were issued to provide capital for the banks, but But under Basel II, these are legacy bonds are under Basel II, the rules changed to Basel III, and these no longer qualified in the bank's balance sheet as equity capital, which means that they have to buy them back or call them, as it's called. So bonds which you thought would survive until, say, 2035, uh, Basel III came in in 2012, and there was 10 years for banks to organize themselves. So many of these bonds instead of being long-term bonds, end up being, having a couple of years to go. And so you're buying bonds, which you know, are no longer going to be held for another 10 years.
0: Obviously that the whole area requires a lot of technical expertise. Does that, does that mean that this, this is an investment area purely for sophisticated investors or, or do you think it should be accessible for a wider investment audience?
1: Yeah, that's that's a very interesting question. Actually, what we do is very simple. The financial world often overcomplicates stuff. What, what we're doing is we're lending insurance companies and banks, and we're expecting them to pay us back and to pay an interest on that money. That's what a bond is. It's as simple as that. Now, the junior debt does have prospectuses which have certain conditions attached to them. So that's where the technicality arises. So you have to be careful. If something can be called in 2032 or 2022, if uh, the coupon uh, can be altered after five years, uh, you have to read the prospectus carefully. So the technical part comes in the implementation, and not the concept. The concept is very simple. You're lending, you're going to get paid your interest, you're going to get your money back, and that is why, and in times of uncertainty, it is a comfort. To the extent that we can ha- have confidence in these uh, these difficult times, to have one's money invested in something where there is visibility and there is certainty of the outcome.
0: Mm-hmm. Now we 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 often hear people talking about uh, you know a, a one in one hundred year event, but it actually feels like we've had a, quite a few of those in the last decade or two, um, rather more than one might expect. But ha- have you has that kind of stood you in, st- in good stead in terms of um, what you 've learned from those and, and how you you're positioned for, for the, the the current uh, crisis
1: yes it has I, I lived through um i mean the first crisis I lived through was eighty seven was very frightening and I was much younger um, uh, ninety eight was, was was quite quick two thousand and eight was extremely frightening because we didn 't really see where we're going this time I must say i've been a little bit more relaxed because um on the one hand, whether a vaccine takes uh, a year to do or 18 months to do, the likelihood is, is that we will have um, a, a cure or something which will prevent this disease from being so bad. But to the extent that we're now in the bond market, and one thing that is very different from 2008 where the banks and the insurance companies were the bad guys and people wanted to punish them, We've seen now that the authorities are working hand-in-glove with the banks to actually be part of the solution, whereas they were part of the problem back in 2008. So we have the authorities on our side helping these banks to remain solvent and actually help the economy back on track. So this is why I'm feeling a little bit more, <clears throat> more relaxed about the solvency. But I must say, I must make one point. You have to be very careful which companies you buy. I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of companies which we wouldn't invest in, a lot of countries we don't invest in. Um, so you have to be extremely selective.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is, is, would you say there's one key thing that you've learned or one kind of highlight of your investment career, Jeremy?
1: If there's one thing I've learned over the years, it's to be able to focus on the one point which really matters for your investment case. Uh, In times like these, one's buffeted by huge amounts of information on the press, in the radio, on TV, from friends. Uh, Many of those things which are pretty scary actually have no bearing on the outcome of your investment. And I often draw a parallel with the great generals, uh, Wellington or Napoleon, who will see in the of battle the one crucial pivot point. On which the outcome depends. And and I also saw it, you know, Gam was very lucky to have George Soros on his board at the beginning. He was a great investor, had that ability to say, this is what's important, and to therefore um, clear his mind of all the things which which were less important. Uh, And if you have that ability, which is why, especially in the bond market, what's important is that a Barclays or a Lawyers will survive. How much money it makes, how much losses it makes. Yeah, these are things which are secondary to the fact of does it have enough capital to survive. If it has enough capital to survive, then your bond will pay its money back, and you learn your income.
0: Excellent. So it's it's it's, it's having that, that ability, and courage, of conviction to, see, to to ignore the noise and and focus on what's, what's key. What's and I- yes, yes, and, yeah. and
1: identify what is noise. That's the key. Identify yeah, yeah. what is noise.
0: Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. Now, there's one question I thought would be interesting to put to you, Jeremy, which is, you know, obviously during this this lockdown, we've all had to uh, adapt, become used to working in close proximity to our families. Um, And that's something that you've done um, over the years. You've worked closely with your brother and other members of your family. How, How have you made that work?
1: What I I normally say, actually, is is what works really well when you're working with your brother is I'm in London and he's in Geneva. (laughs) So that's one way of doing it. Yeah. Um, But otherwise, it's true that even on the telephone, uh, you have to uh, remain unemotional when you will become uh, normally emotional with a family member and realize this is a professional relationship. Um, And the other... Crucial thing, I think, in a family company is to have very different responsibilities. So, be responsible for different areas, and I think that is that is the true secret of working closely with family is to make sure that each person is uh, king of his own castle.
0: Another question about the obviously the, uh, the the situation we all find ourselves in. Do do you envisage that the the current lockdown may bring about any lasting changes to ha- how we live and how businesses operate? I mean, we, we, you know, we as a business have moved to this remote working and it seems to be working very well. But can you see that being a, being a more commonplace, permanent thing going forward? Things change faster and slower. And uh, pra- work
1: practices have been changing nonstop over the years. I joined the industry in 1980. Uh, this was even before PCs. I think the biggest change that ever happened was uh, the the smartphone. Uh, So, yes, we'll we'll change a little bit the way we'll work, but I don't see it as a revolution.
0: Jeremy, thanks very much for your time. It's been great talking to you. Thank you. For more of our insights, please visit our website, gam.com. Important legal information. The information in this podcast is given for information purposes only and does not qualify as investment advice. Opinions and assessments contained in this podcast may change and reflect the point of view of GAM in the current economic environment. No liability shall be accepted for the accuracy and completeness of the information. The mentioned financial instruments are provided for illustrative purposes only and shall not be considered as direct offering, investment recommendation or investment advice. Past performance is no indicator of current or future trends.